You can make anything by writing. C.S. Lewis. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Holt. And I'm Leigh On today's episode of Reader Psychology, we're going to get into those things that the readers just kind of accept as being okay, even though we know that real life doesn't happen like that. There are things that exist that will annoy readers if it's not realistic. If somebody's using a gun wrong in your book and your editor points it out, please fix it. But there are also some things that happen in storytelling. And even though we all know it doesn't work like that, we're okay with it because we're invested in the story and the story takes priority over what's real. There are just some things that you have to kind of go, well, this is just the way it is because it is fiction and I need this for the storytelling aspect. But we've talked before about the suspension of disbelief, the bubble that you create. And if you go too far, you break that bubble. It's a very careful line that you have to tread. So today we're going to list the kinds of things that you can get away with, even though it doesn't happen that way in real life. One that I've used before, and it's kind of my go-to example, is the being knocked unconscious. If I knock somebody unconscious and they're down for more than like six seconds, there is permanent brain damage. That being said, as a storyteller, your character wakes up exactly when is most convenient for you and everyone just sort of goes with it. Everyone I know that is capable of knocking somebody out is also completely unbothered by the fact that in this and that story, they're knocked out until they're gagged and bound and shoved at the trunk. It's one of those that people just kind of accept. They've always accepted it because it is a element of the storytelling that we can break that rule of reality for the sake of the story because it needs to happen this way because we need that person to be unconscious long enough to get out of my own handcuffs and get away or however it works. Another one that we will often see has to do with revival. If somebody's drowned, if somebody needs CPR, if somebody needs the defibrillator because they're flatlining, and then they just get up, pull the IV out of their arm, and run off after the bad guy because they're the hero and they're strong enough to do that. You also get a little bit of creative freedom with AEDs. If you don't know what an AED is, that is an automated external defibrillator. It's that thing that in doctor shows, they have the paddles that they throw on the chest and go clear and the hit buttons and it shocks the heart. In reality, you don't do that to somebody when they're flatlined. The defibrillator is designed to fix a bad rhythm of the heart. So if you are shocking somebody when they're flatlined, it's not going to do anything. One of the other things that I feel like gets kind of ignored with heroes, when you get hit with an arrow, that's a fatal blow. (laughs) If your hero gets stabbed with an arrow and then pulls it out and then keeps chasing the bad guy, (laughs) this is one of those things that medically, not a great idea. But it's really hard to choreograph a fight scene with an arrow sticking out of the gut. We can kind of accept to a certain extent that adrenaline or these other things will override it. 
Another kind of thing that you can include in your story where it doesn't usually happen this way is the idea that the hero represents themselves in the court of law. It's always better for them to have someone. However, again, it's one of those drama and excitement things that can help your story if that's needed. It's a terrible idea in real life, but we like it in storytelling because it makes the hero feel like they're defending themselves instead of hiding behind someone else's skirts. The next example we have is the I will not kill you. The reason why we accept this as being an okay mentality within fiction is because we want our heroes to be better. The villains are the ones that kill people. The heroes are the ones that save people. So we accept that. But as the author, you also need to understand that's a very dangerous mentality for anybody going into what could be a lethal fight. Something else we see is that when a young female is throwing up, therefore she must be pregnant. If the character is throwing up, that is really the only way to publicly announce that this character is pregnant. I'm thinking of the scene in The Witcher where Pavetta's being basically married off and she throws up in the middle of the scene. And so everyone knows, well, she's pregnant. Which is just such a weird thing to be like, yes, vomiting equals pregnancy. But it's a storytelling tool that people have used and can be successful if set up correctly. Another thing that we see in fiction is that hacking into something or getting fingerprint results or DNA results back, anything that's dependent on machinery, takes exactly as long as you, the author, decide it takes. Um, I can also think of the, especially in crime fiction, the enhance function <laughs> of, oh, let's take this photo and enhance it. But that's something that we accept, I accept in crime shows because it's it's something that they have to use because they're like, oh, we know CCTV footage is never this good, but we need to actually be able to identify this person for the plot. So, hey, enhance. Another thing that commonly happens that I find hilarious within fiction is just the timing of things. For one example, it's turning on the TV just as the news is talking about something relevant. Whenever inside a show they flip to something that is news related and you can hear it, I go, okay, this is going to come into play at some point in time. Another thing that you'll notice, especially in television, if you're doing like screenplays, is the idea of blind driving. So there's an element in fiction, your drivers look over at their passengers a whole lot more than any driver does in real life. That's because you want the characters to connect. You want the characters to be actively communicating and paying attention to the conversation that they're having while they happen to be traveling as well. But as a storyteller, you have the almighty because I said so. That's the wonderful author ability. Especially within fiction, you get the choice to say, this is the way it is in this world because it needs to be this way for my story. Going back to reader psychology, enough people think the enhance button works that you can use it. Even those who know it won't work will accept that it's happening. 
Of course, there is a limit to that. If you're doing too many impossible things, then it starts to be unrealistic. But if you have magic and if you have fantastical elements, you get a lot more freedom in what you can make in your story be realistic and plausible. Another reason why the because I said so works is literally just timing. People want to skip over the boring parts. Don't make them work for something. Make it entertaining. Readers don't want to wait two or three months for a DNA test result because that's on the short end how long it takes. This concept of because I said so is also very useful in world building. It's your opportunity to say the world is this way because I need it to be. Which, on its own, is not always a great answer, especially if your readers are enjoying that fantasy or that sci-fi style. They want to know more about the world that you've created. So, because I said so isn't enough. Why can't the vampires just travel underground? Because there are alligators in the sewers. But why are there alligators in the sewers? Because the nuns in the city take care of them in order to prevent vampires from traveling underground. This is a fun, quirky part of world building. And the key here is to go two levels deep. This example that we gave is actually one from, I think it was a Tumblr thread that I read a while back and it stuck with me. But that two levels deep, so long as you answer that question, they're just going to go with it. The key in all of this, in anything that you are going to break reality or that you are going to say, because I said so, there needs to be a reason, a dramatic reason, something essential to your story that gives you a reason to break the rules of reality. I said that multiple times in the list of examples that we gave. You can do it this way because the drama of it. Because we don't want to watch the characters watching TV waiting for the news article to pop up on the local TV station. Turn it on. Get to the good part. If you don't have a reason, if there isn't a plot reason for these things to happen, you're going to annoy the reader who knows better. If you have somebody who just got CPR done wake up and start doing jumping jacks just for funsies... That's going to really annoy any reader who knows anything about CPR. But if you have it in that last moment where all of the sidekicks think your hero is dead and you have the don't die on me pounding on the chest in order to restart the heart and then they survive and go to win the fight, the underdog ends up on top and the good guys win and the bad lose. That's drama. There's a reason for that. And all in all... It's fun. I think it was Sanderson's zeroth law. Make it cool and everything else is secondary. <laughs> but I think that's why a lot of us even write, is because we enjoy the story. We enjoy the drama. It's the reason why we go to fiction. We talked about it two episodes ago, the escapism. We re go to fiction to escape reality. So we're willing to accept when reality is broken. We don't like reality anyway. So we accept these things because we know it's better for the story. We know that you have a reason and a purpose behind doing it that way. But only if you write selfishly. 
If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 